things that reminded me of Brian. One, that song. I associate that song with Brian. Uh, it's a good, hearty, I can just see a, in a big cathedral in England them singing that song. Uh, and then, of course, the demon possession of all audiovisual equipment. That's, that's a classic Brian line. Um, somebody asked me this morning, are you, do you have the jitters to get up in front? And I said, in one way, no, because you're family. You know, you don't get the jitters when you talk to your family. Uh, but I do get jitters because I'm teaching God's Word. And, you know, it's, the Bible tells us that when you print, preach the Word, you're the oracle of God, and you will be held to a higher standard. And that scares me, and it should scare all of us. Tim in his prayer says, I hope that you use what Dave has to say. I don't want what Dave has to say to be important. I want what God has to say to be important. So hopefully we will... Uh, do that this morning, uh, present God's Word in a way that, that honors Him. Um, a quick review of where we've been so far, late, oh, not all the way back, but part of the way back. Uh, Paul and Barnabas have linked up together in Antioch of, of uh, Syria, the Syrian Antioch. And one of the first, it wasn't really a missionary journey, it was a financial aid journey, they went, they, they'd heard that there was going to be a famine in Jerusalem, in the area of Judea. So Paul, I should say Barnabas and Saul, are sent, <clears throat> sent to Jerusalem with a, a load of money uh, to help the, the church in Jerusalem. And now they have returned to Antioch, and after much fasting and prayer, the, the church at Antioch says, you know what, we want to send you out. And I don't think they probably called it a missionary journey. They probably just said, we want you to go share the gospel. And uh, the first thing that, first place they go is to Barnabas' home island. They go to the island of Cyprus. And they teach the word there. And last week, uh, Ray shared with us what, what happened there. And some pretty dramatic things had taken place there uh, with Elymas uh, being blinded and the governor of the island is converted, comes to believe, uh, believe what uh, Barnabas and Saul have taught them, or taught him. And he personally, it doesn't say it in this many words, but it, he personally accepts the Lord as his Savior. And that brings us to where we are today in verse 13. Um, let me just read verse 13. Now Paul, and notice, it's all of a sudden Paul is the lead. And it's changed from Saul to Paul. And, and uh, Ray pointed out last week, we have no idea why. Maybe because his nickname was Shorty and Paul means short or, or whatever. But from here on, I think it was probably because his ministry is going to change now. He's no longer going to be, he will for a little bit here, but he's going to switch from being to the Jews. And Saul was his Jewish name. And he's going to be going to the Gentiles and Paul was his, a Roman name. So that's maybe why the switch. But now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went from Perga and came to Antioch of Pisidia. Now, the map is not there. All audiovisual equipment. Oh, there it is. Okay. And I think you can see um, the follow the red line where they, they leave... No, the blue line, where they leave from Antioch, they go to Cyprus, and then they teach all the way across the island, I guess, 
And those places, I'm sure Jerry and Sarah know all those places, because uh, it sounds from reading their missionary letters, uh, they've been all over that island. But then they head up to Pamphylia and then head directly, uh, we don't know if they did any teaching in Pamphylia, but they head up to Antioch of Pisidia, uh, which is um, an interesting question comes to mind. Um, why did Paul head there? But in the, while they're heading there, and we don't know at what point, does he leave from Cyprus or does he leave from Pamphylia? Um, Mark leaves them, John Mark uh, leaves them. Some versions even say that he deserted them. Uh, and I would probably lean toward that translation because it becomes a real point of, of dispute between Paul and Barnabas. What to do with Mark? And I don't, I don't want to spend much time on that because I think it's going to be addressed later in chapter 15. But I do want us to think about it for just a second in that we know that it all worked out in the end. Disputes are going to happen. That's just the nature of human beings. It's not the dispute that's the issue. It's what you do about it. And somehow, Paul and Mark, John Mark are reconciled. We know that from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. It says, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. They've been reconciled. We're not told how or when or why, but they have been. He also says it, Paul says in Colossians 4.10, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning, excuse me, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. So he's encouraging the churches to welcome Mark or John. He's a, like Paul, Saul, John, Mark. And we also know that this Mark is Writer, one of the writers of the Gospels. So he definitely has been reconciled and is, is serving the Lord as he was called to do. Now, why did Saul, Paul, leave Cyprus? We're not told. But I've got a couple ideas that may be possible. I think one of them is he had led the Sergius Paulus, the governor of Cyprus, to the Lord. And Sergius Paulus was from Pisidia of Antioch. Antioch of Pisidia, I mean. Antioch of Pisidia. And I think that he said, man, I want this, this message to get to my family, get to my, the people that raised me, get to the people who, who I've been associated with. Can you take this message to Antioch of Pisidia? Um, and the, the town Antioch, it's interesting, there are actually 17 Antiochs. And if you're the king, so to speak, if you're the, the guy in charge and you want to name towns after your dad, you can do it. And that's Seleucus was the rule, one of the, the, gov, the generals of, under Alexander the Great. And when Alexander the Great died at a young age, I think 32, uh, his empire, there were some disputes and fighting, and, and it ended up three governors, three generals ended up taking over the the empire, and Seleucus was one of them, and he decided, you know, I like my dad. My dad was named Antiochus or something along that line, and he, was of, he wasn't really the king, but he was of the royal family of Macedonia, so Seleucus says, you know, why not? I can name as many towns as I want Antioch, and he did, and that's why it's sometimes confusing when we talk about Antioch in the Bible. 
So I think that's one reason that Paul went there is because Sergius Paulus was from there and he had just been converted. I think another possible reason is maybe Paul had malaria because he goes from the coast, hot, humid, and if you read Jerry and Sarah's, Sarah's letters, it's hot and humid in Cyprus. And one of the ways to fight malaria in those days anyway is to get to a, a cooler climate. Pisidia, uh, Antioch of Pisidia was 120 miles inland, and you can tell from the map there, I think, it's up in the mountains. It's actually at 3,600 feet. That's 300 feet higher than we are in Redmond, Oregon. Uh, so it, it was up there. It was a cooler climate. So maybe Paul went there for that reason. And he tells the Galatians in chapter 4, verse 13, you know it was because of body, bodily ailment I preached the gospel to you at first. And most of the things I've heard about Paul, his bodily ailment was his eyes, and I think that probably was true because he says the Galatians, you know, that you would have taken out your eyes for me if you could have. But you don't go someplace different, I don't think, so much because of eye problem, not being able to see. I think you're more likely for breathing problems. And, uh, and, he, and he says, because of the bodily and because of what was wrong with me, I needed to be at a higher elevation. So I came up to you in the city of Antioch. Now, that's just speculation, and take it as that, speculation. It's an, but I like, to, I like to think of God's word as, put it in human terms, put it as a way that if you were living then, what, how would it have affected you? And I think that that's a possibility that the two reasons that Paul headed to Antioch of Pisidia. Um, now, verse 14. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After, after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. Now you need to understand that the synagogue services were somewhat like our breaking of bread service. It wasn't led by one person who did everything uh, and you know, did all the teaching. It was, it was a, kind of an open forum. They had a set procedure. They would read God's word. They'd read from the law. They'd read from the prophets. And then it would be kind of opened up for whoever was there to share what, was, what they had got from that uh, passage or what they had to say. And, and these guys say to Paul, the guys in the synagogue say to Paul, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement, say it. And how did they recognize them as brothers? We don't know. I would guess maybe because they spoke Hebrew and the service in the synagogue would have been in Hebrew. Maybe Paul was wearing his rabbinical robes uh, because we know he was trained under Gamal and really qualified to be a rabbi. Um, we don't know, but they do recognize him. And Paul, as you would expect, I think he's ever going to turn down a chance to share the gospel. Absolutely not. His life has been transformed. He has been changed from a man who hated anything to do with the church to a man who loved the church and loved God. And so he's going to get right up. And it says he, and you can imagine, we know that he was a rather short person. Uh, he, he gets up and he, Maybe to get their attention, but he's, maybe it's just Jewish thing that you talk with your hands. 
but um, he waves his hands, and he has a wonderful message. Now, you may wonder, okay, I can read this whole message in about five minutes. So how come we have 45-minute preaching services? If Paul can deliver a good message in five minutes, why do I talk for 45 minutes? I don't know, can't answer that. Um, maybe we're, we are not as fluent as Paul. Oh, I also think this may have been this condensed, uh, Luke, when he wrote this, condensed Paul's messages, because uh, I think there's a lot of places that Paul would have stuck in Scripture. Uh, he does a few times, and we'll, a couple times we'll see in here, but he, could, he would have been sticking in Scripture to prove his point more often than were recorded. But he gets up and he says, and I want you to notice who's the main character of these first few verses. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arms he led them out of it. And for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an, as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then, I, then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man in the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David their king, who, of whom he testified that, and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart who will do my will. Did you pick up on who's the main character? It sounds like a history of Israel, and maybe Israel is the main character. But the main character in that story is God. Notice, God of this people chose our fathers and made them the people, a people great in the land of Egypt. And, and then he, God, led them out. In 40 years, he... And I love this phrase. He put up with them in the wilderness. You know, it's easy for us to criticize the Jews, isn't it? And say, oh, for 40 years, they, uh, you know, I wonder how many years he would say he put up with us, how much he's put up with me. Uh, but, but it was God who, who put up with them in, in the wilderness. And then it says, and after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land of inheritance. And then, then he gave them judges, he being God, gave them judges, and then God gave them Saul, and then God, after he had removed him, God raised up King David. God is the main, main character, and all through this entire message, God and Jesus are the main characters. That's the point of whole, you know, Paul says, I want nothing to know, nothing more among you other than Jesus and him crucified. God is a main character. And when we start making philosophy or politics or theology the main character, we're losing something. We need to keep Jesus and God as our main focus. It makes me think of a couple songs we're going to sing later today. God of wonders and how great thou art. God is a mighty, amazing character. And when we put him anywhere else as the main, than the main character in our life, we're in trouble. So as we sing the, when we sing those songs later, uh, remember the importance of God being the main character. And I kind of don't like to use that word, but the main character in our, in our lives. 
Um, but notice also what Paul does. He has connected directly with his audience. This message is a lot different than your, when you go to Acts 17 and he's preaching in Athens. It's a totally different message because he, there he connects with his audience. And it's, I am finding it, I find it, that I, I think that anyway, it's more difficult to connect with people with God's word than it used to be. I remember when I first started teaching in 1973, if I mentioned, of course I was teaching in a 95% Mormon community, but if I mentioned anything about the Bible, you know, like, well, you know about Noah, or you heard about the flood, or, you, or anything about the Bible, the kids would, well, they knew. And I found in my last few years of teaching, if I mentioned anything like that, they were kind of, huh? You know, they had no clue uh, what, they, what I was talking about. But Paul does a good job of connecting with his audience. He knew he was speaking to a Hebrew believing, because he calls them you who fear God, believing people, and he wanted to, them to make that transition from the Jewish life to a life in Christ. Um, so the last, he just said, it, he talked about David, and David being after God's heart, then in verse 23, he, he says, now of this man, that's David, this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me comes one who is the, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abram, and among you who fear God, to us has been sent a message of salvation. Now, it's interesting that, that, John, that Paul knows that these people know those two names, Jesus and John. They live way up in, well, we saw on the map, you know, up in Antioch, so up in Sidia. It's a fairly long ways from Jerusalem, even by today's standards, if you or I were driving it. But, but somehow the name of John and of Jesus is known to these people. I think John in a positive way, maybe, and Jesus not so much in a positive way. But it, it's, um, the, John makes an interesting statement, or Paul quotes John's interesting statement. Um, and what do you suppose I am? I am, I am not he, but behold... After me, come, one is coming, the sandals whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Now that seems like kind of, the sandals whose, on whose feet I, I'm not worthy to untie. That's kind of a strange statement to us. But in those days, what a rabbi would have, you didn't go off to seminary, you kind of became the disciple of a rabbi, and he would teach you everything you needed to know. Well, the rabbis had rules on how they could treat their disciples. And one of their rules is you can't, you just, you can't do this. This is not cool. You can't make them untie your sandals for you. And so Paul makes this statement, I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals. It's not that, the, that I can't be asked. It's that I, even if I was asked, I am not even worthy. And to these people listening, they would have gone, whoa, he's talking about someone that's 
way above a rabbi if you're not even worthy to untie his sandals. Um, so the last statement Paul makes there is God has sent to us the message of sal salvation. And then he goes into the simple message of salvation, which is no different than the message of salvation that we should share with people today. Verse 27, For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterance of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Why didn't these Jewish leaders recognize Jesus? Why didn't they say, this is the Messiah? Because that was the main job of the Jewish leaders, was to recognize the Messiah when he came. They had really no other responsibility other than that, to make, teach the prophets so the people could recognize the Messiah when he came. And these guys didn't. Well, this last week, I get a weekly newspaper, and this last week there was an article in it on why people don't see the truth. And there was this interesting quote. It says, people allow their love of a particular ideology to, to cloud their rational decision-making and their capabilities to make good decisions, with sometimes with disastrous consequences. And that's exactly what was going on here. These guys were so into their ideology, their Jewish religion, their, all their technicalities on how you had to wash your hands and all that kind of stuff. They were so into that that they couldn't even recognize the Messiah when he was right in front of them. If they had studied scripture, and they had studied scripture, but they didn't recognize him. And I think they were so bought into their way of doing things. Have you ever felt like sometimes you're bought into your way of doing things and you can't do anything else? And I'll be honest with you, Judy and I are struggling with that. We are so bought in to the way, of, the way assemblies work that it's hard for us to associate with anybody else. And we know we're wrong. We know we're wrong. And we are, we are overcoming it. But we get so bought into doing things our way that we miss out on opportunities to, to share the gospel and to have fellowship with other believers. Uh, so let's not, be, let's not be the leaders of the Jewish uh, community. Let's be believers who are following Jesus and focus on him and not get caught up into our way of doing it. Although, bro although breaking your bread is the best thing since sliced bread. But... Uh, uh, but the, these guys read the they read the, the scriptures probably every day. But we know they read them every every Sunday or every Sabbath, every Saturday. Uh, but it was a mere formality then, and they didn't want to give up their power. Nobody likes to give up their power when they've got it. Politicians, parents, whatever you know, we don't like to give up power. Uh, and they were very they would have sung along very heartily with Frank Sinatra singing "I Did It My Way." Uh, we didn't, they didn't care what was it God's way, it was our way. And uh, we, be, we need best to be careful that we don't get caught up like that. And now it's also interesting that he mentions that Jesus is crucified. Now that was not, 
what was Jesus, what did the, the Jews accuse him of? Blasphemy. What, were they, what does the law instruct them to do if you blaspheme? Not crucify. What have they done to, to Stephen for the exact same thing? To stone him. And, but why wasn't Jesus stoned? So that scripture could be fulfilled. But Christ was rescued, has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law when he was hung on a tree. He took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in scripture, cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. That's from Deuteronomy chapter 21, uh, Paul is quoting. Um, and he quotes that in Galatians, by the way, 3, 13. Uh, the scripture had predicted that the Messiah would be crucified, not stoned. And that's why it's strange when you think about the way it should have been done and the way it was actually done. It was a fulfillment of Scripture. Uh, so Paul has laid out the, the important things about the gospel. He's laid out that Jesus was the Son of God. He's laid out that Jesus died, and he's raised out that, G, that Jesus... Uh, was raised from the dead. Well, he's going to clearly in the next, in verse 30, uh, my favorite two words in this whole passage, but God, but God. Uh, Judy and I just did an interesting trip to Alabama, um, and there were so many points when we look back on it now, but but God, but God did this. One, one simple thing, our flight from uh, Orlando to Pensacola was canceled, uh, and uh, the, our luggage should have technically been put on the flight to go to uh, from from Orlando to Pensacola. Should have been, but it wasn't. I, in fact, guy was standing there and he said, "Well, my my luggage from the flight came in on carousel too." So I just kind of walked over there quickly and right, right literally. Literally right in front of me when I got there was Judy's bag. And I look over here, and there's mine. That was the but God. Do you see the but gods in your life? Okay, They're all over the place, but sometimes we, we forget and fail to give recognition to them. Um, but th this is a much more important but God than finding your luggage. Verse 30 again. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. The most amazing but to God in the history of mankind, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ hadn't been resurrected, you and I would not be sitting here this morning. Uh, or if we were be sitting here, we wouldn't be sitting here for the purpose that we're sitting here. Because without the resurrection of Christ, there is no Christianity. There is no faith in Jesus Christ. Um, so it's very important, uh, the resurrection. And Paul recognizes the importance of the resurrection. Take a look at, starting in verse 32. And we bring you good news that was of what God promised to the fathers. This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he spoke in this way, I will give you a holy and sure blessing of David. 
Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he, but he whom God raised up did not see corruption. So Paul lays out to these Jewish people, these Jewish believers, um, and some of them we know because the way he originally addressed them, they feared God. He lays out to them that, yes, Jesus is the Son of God. You are called my beloved Son. You were in the line of David. You, were gonna, you are to receive the kingdom. And you did not see corruption. Because these guys thought, hmm, I wonder what that's talking about. David saw corruption. And Paul points that out. Yes, he died, was buried, and saw corruption. His body decayed. But Jesus was raised from the dead. Uh, and you and I can rejoice in that very fact this morning. Because why? Because forgiveness of sins is found in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And Paul, in verse 38, says, But let, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. These people had been struggling for thousands of years to be freed from their sin by following the law. And they kept making the law more and more and more complicated. By the time at this time in history, I think most of those people realized, there's nothing, I, I can't do that. I can't do that. And Paul is offering to them something that they could not find in the law. Forgiveness, complete forgiveness from sin. Um, the purpose of the law was really only to establish God's standards and to show us what sin was, or, or is, what sin is. And uh, they knew, these people knew, there's no way to enter into God's presence if my sin hasn't been forgiven. And Paul is saying, here it is. Let me lay it out for you. Forgiveness of sins is found in this man Jesus because he died, was buried, and rose again. But Paul, uh, the, his final conclusion, or I wouldn't say conclusion here, but one of his final statement is a warning that we should all take heed of. Beware, verse 40, Beware therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am going to work a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells him. He says to these guys, I'm, here it is, I'm offering you forgiveness of sin, but some of you are going to scoff, and some of you are not going to believe, and some of you are going to believe, but for those of you who reject this message, there's no hope for you. And if you're sitting this here this morning and have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm sorry, don't want to be mean or anything, but there's no hope for you unless you are willing to allow God to become the main character in your life, the one who controls your life. And that doesn't sound very upbeat and modern, you know, you're in control. I want to be in control of my own life. No. If you do want that, then be aware of what the consequences are. And the consequences are eternal death, separation from God. And when we are totally separated from God, 
we don't want anything to do with that. So this morning, the message is offered. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again for your forgiveness of sins. Don't reject it. Be willing to accept it. Lord, we just thank you for your word and pray that uh, we will have each learned something that helps us to become more conformed to your image today. pray in your name. Amen. Amen.